the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're having a fabulous Saturday. Uh, this is Al Fadi, and if you're tuning in, uh, you are listening to Let Us Reason. And uh, last time, uh, we uh, made reference to the uh, killing of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who is the head of ISIS, or at least the self-proclaimed caliph. And obviously, um, his death is significant in terms of the fact that it inflicts a moral damage uh, in the hearts of those of his uh, fighters, followers, uh, uh, organizational structure, and so on and so forth. But the fundamental question that we ask is, does that mean truly the end of ISIS? And uh, I think we made it very clear that that, uh, that's not the case. Uh, ISIS really is not a name, it's an ideology. Now, they called themselves ISIS. But the ideology itself is uh, manifested in groups like Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, obviously, and uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, there's so many faces and facets to this ideology. Regardless of who heads what and what happens, the, at the end of the day, we have to realize that the ideology as we know it is still going on, and it's a 1,400 years long, old ideology. Now, I am definitely aware of the fact that many of our modern-day Muslims, especially after the rise of ISIS, are either in denial or they are convinced that ISIS does not represent the true faith of Islam, which is not true, sadly, uh, while I appreciate their passion and compassion and uh, and uh, wanted to present Islam in a different tone, the sad reality is that people like ISIS use the very primary sources of Islam to justify everything that they do. They use the Quran and the many commands, open-ended commands, to wage war and violence and killing against the enemies of Islam, whatever that means. The enemies of Islam can include Christians and Jews for simply refusing to follow Islam or simply denying Muslims to worship freely because in a Muslim mind, uh, the West represents Christianity and therefore if there is any country in the West, that includes the U.S., denies any simple rights for Muslims, including the right of having their own self, um, basically uh, enforced Sharia law uh, in a full, basically, uh, fully, a full-fledged, I should say, uh, pa- uh, manner, 
then that in and of itself an act of war or antagonism against Islam and someone from the Muslim community have to rise. Usually the hardliners are the ones that typically end up rising in the face of any objections. Even they rise against other moderate Muslims. For instance, if you look at the uh, population of many of the Syrian refugees that were displaced since 2014 on account of the war that ISIS waged and also the war that is waged against ISIS, you'll discover the majority of them are actually Muslims. And you probably get puzzled as to why. Because you hear reports that only the minorities were displaced, like Christians and the uh, Yazidis and, uh, and, uh, and others. But, uh, but that's not really just uh, the full picture. Um, many of the Muslims who are, in our uh, you know, modern-day term, are moderates, or at least, let's say, Muslims who are really not devout at all, or at least they have a different interpretation of Islam, they're the one who were forced out of their own area simply because ISIS view them as the Quran does view them as hypocrite Muslim, as uninformed Muslim, or even they can call them apostates. In fact, there is a movement that is called the apostasy movement that's used also by the Muslim Brotherhood that if any Muslim does not adhere to the pure teachings of Islam, then this Muslim is no Muslim at all. And this is why ISIS, even though in, in terms of numbers they may look like the minority, they were the one who were running the show and driving that ship. All that to say is that we have to assess now what is going to happen next. Well, I can tell you this much. There is a phase of hibernation right now that will be taking place, a reassessment, if you wish. I mean, if, if you've been following the news, it seemed like ISIS and their fighters, at least those who escaped from Syria and Iraq, have been regrouping and concentrating their efforts in areas like Afghanistan, for instance. Now, uh, that is uh, an interesting area simply because ISIS always viewed itself as a fulfillment of Islamic in-time mandates or uh, signs, if you wish, about a group that will rise from the east and will approach the Holy Land, technically speaking, fighting uh, the enemies of Allah. That includes uh, many nations in the world. And finally, finally, the Armageddon battle will take place. That's their version of that. Now, the fact that they're gathering over there indicate that they will take their time first to restructure, rebuild themselves, work on a new leadership, and fundraising, and so on and so forth. And that's just a matter of time before they're back into the forefront, whether under the same name, ISIS, or a different name, regardless of that. In fact, the moment ISIS, or at least the spirit of ISIS, inflicts any terror attacks in the West, you know that that's the message that is being sent, that we're back in order, and we are ready to continue the battle. So let's hope that that doesn't happen. And I say this because many of the Western countries these days, and governments in particular, are busy with their own problems. They are distracted with their own issues. They are not focused on these serious matters. Now, add Iran into the mix, and you have a serious, serious theological problem in the region right now. It is a melting pot, and we have to take it very seriously. You have Iran that just recently announced that they're moving forward 
with their uranium enrichment, meaning that they are basically telling the West, we don't care, you do whatever you want. And why are they doing this? Because they can see that the West is weak and the West doesn't have the backbone to stand up for them. Only probably the U.S. is the only country that is able to do so. Other than that, when there is no alliance, no basically uh, unity among Western governments, these guys are smart enough to see that and sniff that and realize that, you know what, we're on our own, and therefore we are going to capitalize on the fact that once we have this nuclear power, uh, everybody will come to the negotiating table and we'll be able to tip the scale. Now, obviously, if we indeed are going to let them get that far, that is a troublesome thing simply because Iran, in and of itself, they have their own end-time theology where they are doing whatever it takes to bring back the 12th imam. Of course, if you've been following my series on the end times or Islamic eschatology, we talked about this. I'm just taking a brief detour or a pause, an appendix, if you wish, if you wish, basically, talking about al-Baghdadi, because still, it's... um, relevant to the end-time eschatology, but nevertheless, we'll come back again to this 12th imam known as the Mahdi, and uh, so on and so forth, because all of this ties together. Now, it appears that Iran is somehow uh, losing some of its grip in areas like Iraq and in Lebanon, And that was evidenced by the recent demonstrations in there by people against corruption. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, in any way that Iran is going to pay a price for this. In fact, Iran actually uh, stepped in and uh, wanted to show that they are still in charge of that region. And uh, that's where things stand so far. Unless something drastic happens, it appears that Iran actually is still in charge of areas and governments like Iraq and in Lebanon, and therefore they are going to do whatever it takes simply to um, at least uh, maintain their power in the region. And obviously countries like Saudi uh, recognize this, and that's why the U.S. now is sending more and more troops to the region, especially to Saudi Arabia. Now, Iran obviously still have, uh, you know, power in Yemen, and they are, uh, there is this war that is taking place between Saudi and the Yemeni Houthis, which is a proxy war between Saudi and Iran. And in Iraq, of course, um, they still maintain power. In Syria now, definitely they have re- Uh, captured that power again, evidenced by the fact that Bashar Assad is still in power, who definitely is a, uh, follows the form of a Shia Islam, supported by Iran, and uh, not to mention the Russian factor in all of this. Russia obviously is excited to see the U.S. uh, minimizing its exposure uh, or its presence in this case. Uh, The fact that we turn our backs against the Kurds, for whatever reason, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the decision was made based on other intelligence and, and many other factors that I'm not here to try to judge. It just a, descends, uh, 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 such action sends the wrong message to the Kurds and to the populace 
and especially to the Sunnis in the area, and uh, they see the U.S. as basically an ally that cannot be trusted, that will open the door for Russia to become now the new power in town. And uh, you're beginning to see this. You see countries like Saudi and the uh, other Gulf states are certainly turning to Russia and visiting uh, Russia. And uh, recently, I think the Russian president either uh, came to the region or at least made an announcement that he, uh, he will be coming to the region. And I believe he did make, make it to the UAE at least. But all that to say is that uh, there is now watch-your-back uh, policy that is taking place uh, in the uh, region over there. In other words, uh, yes, we like the U.S., but we cannot really depend 100% on the U.S. anymore. And now you're going to start to see another form of a cold, basically, war that will take place in there now between the U.S. Uh, with their minimal uh, presence and Russia, who obviously wants to appear to be the new game in town for people to go to. And uh, pretty soon you're going to see that the Russian also will probably try to have a way to bring their military and build bases in there. And uh, that's pretty much uh, what's going to unfold, at least for now. These things will take, um, in my humble view, uh, a decade or two uh, before at least things can change. But uh, I don't see things changing in the positive anymore. It seemed like that region is headed already towards end times indeed. You have the Russians involved. You have Turkey now, who uh, basically um, uh, in daylight uh, taken uh, parts of uh, Syria in the north uh, with this impression that they're building a neutral zone, a safe zone, if you wish, against the uh, Kurds, because in their view the Kurds are terrorists, and they're protecting their national interest, meaning Turkey national interest. So it is complicated. You have Turkey in the north. You have Russia involved. You have Iran on the uh, west, basically, uh, also trying to um, solidify uh, their alliances uh, with the regional powers uh, in Iraq, in Lebanon, and in Syria, and building also uh, some sort of a soft alliance with Russia and with Turkey. So you can see that the fertile crescent region that includes Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon is starting to look more of a Shia dynasty, and that in and of itself sends the wrong and troubling message to the Sunnis, which are represented basically by the Saudis, and you have Egypt, but Egypt has their own problems as well, and they are not going to try to weaken their economy by getting involved in unnecessary wars or unnecessary, you know, actions. Now, where, where is Israel in all of this? Well, obviously Israel right now is waging their own battle and trying to weaken, uh, technically speaking, any Sunni powers in the Gaza Strip. Recently, uh, there was uh, this uh, killing of one of those leaders of the Islamic Jihad group. And obviously, uh, they have Hamas in the south that they have to deal with, and you also have Hezbollah in the north, which is a Shia uh, power that they're going to have to deal with, and then you have Iran building their nuclear power. So Israel has definitely um, uh, got, got really, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, got a lot on their hand, and, and they have to pick and choose their battles now. Uh, now certainly the U.S. Uh, is still a strong ally for them, but all that to say 
is that it's a ticking bomb. What's happening in Norwegian right now is pretty eye-opening uh, because it seems like for the first time new players are beginning to emerge as superpowers, super at least regional powers. That includes Iran, of course, and Turkey. So um, where does the U.S. Um, fit in all of this? Well, I'm not so sure really the U.S. have any role to play anymore. Uh, the U.S. is probably going to rely more on a cyber kind of um, uh, power, uh, more of a minimal uh, approach, uh, kind of like presence. Uh, they're going to definitely have presence in the Gulf states and in Saudi. but And also, uh, apparently, we have a small presence around the oil fields in Syria. But all that to say is that uh, we do not have any influence as before. And also in Afghanistan, we're pulling away from that which is, in one sense, it's good that we do not want to be involved in battles, and I agree with that. We do not want to really have blood on our hand, and we do not want to lose uh, uh, you know, more and more of our um, military. But at the same time, such a void of such a responsible power like the U.S. can really allow bad actors like ISIS and the likes to begin to regroup and try to emerge again. Now, certainly... The U.S. is going to continue to go after their leaders, and they're going to continue to do these special operations, but that's completely different than at least eliminating such powers. In other words, they will continue to exist. There is also this Taliban deal with the government of Afghanistan and the U.S. The Taliban is another uh, source of uh, uh, destabilization in the region, at least in Afghanistan. They'll work with anybody which means that they will be willing to work with ISIS if necessary for the sake of re-emerging also as a powerful Islamic group in the Afghan area. All that to say is, I'm sorry to bring you bad news, but that's what's going on. We have to really be extremely careful. The region is no longer a safe region in the sense that uh, nothing bad is going to happen, no. There is this possibility of anything can go wrong at any given moment. Until Iran is willing to negotiate, until Turkey is willing to change and pull back again to its original borders, until the, uh, the war in Yemen stops, until many of these things uh, cease basically and uh, reverse course, um, that particular region right now is a melting pot, is a waging volcano, is uh, all of the above. And we have to really begin to figure out how can we maintain presence and authority at the same time minimize our involvement. And that's not an easy task. It's going to take not just one administration, probably multiple administrations, to try to figure out our role. And I am, um, unfortunately, not that optimistic. I feel like the U.S. presence is shrinking more and more, and uh, pretty soon uh, will be persona non grata in there, and that can send an extremely negative uh, message to the region, anywhere from governments to the populace to the terrorists, all of them, will have a bad taste in their mouth in terms of the fact that we are no longer there as an ally, but rather we're there only for certain reasons and certain purposes.
and uh, those um, you know those are not really the way things work over there. It's all about watch my back. I'll watch yours, and unfortunately, that may have an impact on the U.S. presence in terms of businesses, uh, the U.S. presence in terms of tourism, and uh, the list can go on and on and on. But let's talk the positive side of things. The gospel is flourishing in that region. Iran is noticing a lot of people turning to Christ. In Saudi, there is more and more openness among the young generation. Many are declaring themselves now to be at least atheists, but there is openness to have gospel discussions. Uh, the open door now for tourism uh, can facilitate more and more uh, missionary presence in there. And uh, it seems like people are hopeless. And what a wonderful place to be at, because only when you're hopeless, you can turn your attention to Christ, who is the hope of our salvation. And therefore, uh, we need to really uh, begin to you know, set our mind uh, and our focus on uh, um, you know, the coming of Christ, because all indications are leading in that direction. And uh, obviously, I am not the guy who's going to tell you when that will happen, but the signs are pointing in that direction. And sadly, of course, more and more trouble is going to ensue before this wonderful return will take place. And I think we're seeing already the actors um, on the stage already. And however, this, in your view and my view, uh, we may be hoping for something to happen immediately, but immediately in God's mind doesn't mean tomorrow. It could be another 50 to 100 years. Maybe it could be another century. Who knows? Uh, uh, or two, I should say. Who knows? Anything can happen. But at the end of the day, we need to focus on what is important, and that's the hope of Christ's return, the hope of our salvation, the focus on the loss, and uh, those lost who are desperately in need of peace and joy, and only the gospel can offer this. And I'm hoping and praying that Christians will begin to put these things in perspective and ignore whatever is happening because the Lord is in control. We cannot really control anything. All that to say is that we are in a place right now that is very peculiar, and uh, we need to at least lift the region up in prayer, we need to lift the people up in prayer. We need to pray for the gospel to flourish and continue to increase, for the message to uh, have more and more open doors, for more lost souls to come to Christ and be saved, for more boldness in sharing the gospel. We get our handful right just locally with all the political correctness that is taking place. So might as well just uh, uh, begin to think about revival everywhere, a global one. And um, my prayer and my hope is that we will take these opportunities seriously because the Lord is opening a door for us that none, uh, 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 unlike anything uh, before that we've ever seen, uh, the region right now is definitely open for um, those kind of ideas, those kinds of changes. In fact, in a country like Saudi, it appears that there is a chance for churches to start emerging in there. So let us Focus on the real, real hope and real message of peace and joy, and that's Christ and the gospel. Other than that, nothing else is going to bring us that peace. With that said, obviously, 
um, you know, we are approaching uh, a season of celebration. That's Christmas. So be sure to think about those who are uh, not enjoying this feeling, uh, lost, you know, uh, their family. Uh, they are displaced from their homeland. They're seeking peace and joy. And uh, let us hope that uh, they will see that and find that in Christ. And let us hope that you will be that catalyst for this. Look at those who are around you, who are refugees, who are immigrants, who are international students from a Muslim background. Reach out to them. Invite them to your home. Uh, build relationships with them. Let us capitalize on the fact that there is this openness now to have discussions like this among them and us. Now, with that said, I want to remind you, of course, as always, to um, you know follow these messages uh, on our website, syriainternational.com, where we have an archive in there. Or you can listen to this show, Let Us Reason, on iTunes or Omni Studio and uh, um, Spotify and many other platforms, by the way, that have it. All that to say also that I want to remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Syria International. That's C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International. And uh, consider to become a Patreon patron, meaning a giver, for as little as $1, as much as the Lord put in your heart, but uh, we rely heavily, of course, on the provisions of God and on faithful givers like you. With all that to say, I want to thank you again for your partnership. May the Lord bless you richly.